today, I've been looking forward to this day for several weeks and months now as we begin a new year together, as we really uh, revisit our church mission statement and our vision of what we hope that we exist as a church for. And so before I get into the message, let me make one quick announcement, and that is with this new year, we are really changing the focus of our Sunday evenings here at Fairview. On, on Sunday evenings at 6, we're really starting to focus on ministry training and leadership development here in our ministry. And so if you have been attending regularly, or maybe this is even your first Sunday, and you'd like to learn about how you can connect and serve on a serving team here at Fairview, tonight from 6 to 6.30, I'm going to be giving some leadership principle training here from God's Word. And then for the last half of the hour, from 6.30 to 7, we're going to have two ministry teams that are meeting this Sunday. Uh, if you'd like to serve in the nursery, or if you'd like to serve as a greeter or host here at Fairview, we're going to have their initial kickoff meetings today. Now, if you miss tonight, we're going to have these monthly meetings. So the nursery team and greeter and host team will meet the first Sunday of every month. I'm not going to go through all the other teams that are meeting throughout the month. There's cards at the Next Step station that will help you see which teams are meeting on which weeks. But it's our prayer that um, you would serve and get involved. Uh, and, and, and that basically aligns with our third vision statement, and that is we hope everyone here serves because of God's grace in their life. God has gifted you in a specific way to be a blessing uh, to this church and to serve through the power of the gospel. And so we hope that you'll consider that. Uh, Pastor Don will probably mention more about that here at the end of the service. But I just wanted to say something about that because I'm really excited about our Sunday evenings going into the new year and watching leaders be developed. That's going to happen over a long period of time. But it's going to be a wonderful process that we're going to start together as a church family. Well, at this time, uh, if you'll look at me, look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter number 3. And this passage is really going to be a launching point for the entire month that we're here in this series entitled Transformed, How the Gospel Changes Us as We Follow Jesus. And we'll read this passage here in just a moment, but get your place there in 2 Corinthians 3. Well, um, if, if any of y'all know me, you know that I like to sometimes make public confessions. So here's my confession this morning, and that is I've always been a fan of those weight loss TV shows on TV. Raise your hand if you're a fan along with me of My 600-Pound Life, Biggest Loser, um, Extreme Makeover. Probably Extreme Makeover was one of my favorite, just watching those transformations of people's physical lives. Um, there's just something that's both alarming about those shows and inspiring, isn't there? Um, I'm alarmed at how unhealthy many of the people's lives have become, and they don't even necessarily see that as a reality in front of them. And in most of these weight loss shows, there's this moment in the segment where the doctor shocks the person into reality, right? And he's either got 40,000 pounds of lard here on the table, or, you know, he's got some graphical way of alarming these people into the reality of their condition to where they can see their need. And so I'm both alarmed at the fact that, you know, these people are in such a dire situation with their health, but then on the other side, I'm also very inspired, and often I'm moved to tears. I'll just tell you something about me right now. I cry in almost every movie, even if it's an action movie. I'm crying because of the bravery. How many of you are with me? You're a crier in a movie too. I am. I'm, just, I'm inspired often to tears, and definitely in those, to see the before and after photos and to see the, 
the, the, the transformation, and, and not just physically, but to see the, how the whole person's mindset has changed, just to see those transformations that occur are truly inspiring, when they finally see what their true need is. You see, because in almost every one of those weight loss transformational stories, they finally realize that it's not food that's the ultimate problem. It's amazing. When you study and, 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 and look at this, it's not food that's the problem. It's the reason that they turn to food to cope with a deeper underlying problem. And that's so fascinating to see how their coach or whoever's working with them unpacks that to help them see that there's much deeper rooted issues than just the symptom of eating food. And so when it comes to seeing lasting spiritual transformation, that's, that's physical transformation, and those are wonderful. But the greater work is the work of spiritual transformation that God does in people's lives. And when it comes to spiritual transformation in our lives, I would like to submit to us this morning that often we're focusing on the wrong starting point for change. I mean, just as a person who eats too much, food's not the problem. It's, it's an underlying Wound, it's an underlying mindset for the reason that they turn to food to cope with the problem. And what I want us to see today is that ultimately, in this issue of changing, of life change, all of us, if we're humble enough, uh, hopefully we would be, and honest enough to say, you know, Pastor, I come into this room this morning and there's something in my life that is still needing to change spiritually. Well, that's great. And what we, what my, my prayer today, is that we'll see how this process begins to take shape. How do we see lasting change in our life? We all know we need to change. We all know that there's things in our life that we would rather not be there. And so the goal of today's message is to recognize that need for real and lasting change, not only in our lives personally, but also as a church family. And so it's my prayer that 2019 is a year that is filled with powerful stories of real and lasting gospel transformation in the hearts of people. That's what I want. How many of you are with me? I, I, I'm done playing church. Are you done playing church? I'm done. I, 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 don't, I, don't want, I just don't want to come and go through I want to see life transformation in my own life. First, I mean, primarily, I'm like, Lord, change me. And then, Father, change those around me. Change my community for the glory of your gospel and, and work in and through. And so this series, the, the title is Transformed. The subtitle is How the Gospel Changes Us as We Follow Jesus. I want you to notice that within this title, we have both the need to be a follower of Jesus as we follow Jesus. And what we have here is the power and the motivation to truly follow Jesus. And that's found in the word gospel. And so a true follower of Jesus is one who is motivated and empowered by the gospel to see lasting transformation in his or her life. And so with that said, let's, uh, we're, we're going to begin this week with this uh, uh, topic, and that is recognizing the need for transformation. Recognizing the need for transformation. And in uh, following weeks, we'll look at realizing the source of transformation. Week three, recommitting to the process of transformation. And then week four, measuring the progress of transformation. And so this week, we're looking at recognizing our need for transformation. And so let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 18. The Bible says this, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything 
of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. What a great verse to begin a new year as a church with. Do you know that our sufficiency isn't found in a human being? Our sufficiency is not found in some elegantly laid out program. I'm not smart enough to do that. Uh, and, and, so, and so it's not laid out in some crafty, whiz-bang, snap, crackling, pop uh, uh, psychology or strategy. Our sufficiency is of God. Amen? I mean, that's where we start. So I love how Paul starts this larger section of Scripture here to the church of Corinth. He says, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. And his sufficiency, Paul's sufficiency, springs from this incredible understanding that Paul is now about to unpack to us in this passage. Look at what he says in verse 6. Who hath also made us able ministers of the new Testament, or if you have another translation, it might say new covenant. That word testament, covenant are interchangeable. They're the same Greek word, D-F-A-K. So Paul says, God has made us able ministers of the new covenant, the new testament, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. What does he mean? Spirit, letter, letter, spirit, spirit. Okay, keep reading. But the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, was glorious. So that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. What's Paul saying? He's saying there was a ministration in the Old Testament, the ministry that came through Sinai and the giving of the law, and it was called the ministration of death, verse 7 says. It could only diagnose our dire condition before God. It could only point out that we are sinners. Now, he says that it was glorious in the sense that it gave us a revelation further of who God is and why we needed something greater than what the old covenant could bring. The old covenant could only bring about the reality of our current condition. It couldn't fix our current condition. So he says here, How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? So Paul's comparing and contrasting here. He's saying, okay, here's this old covenant that was from Sinai, and it was glorious, and so much so that we're going to see that even in the old covenant, Moses' literal physical appearance was changed. But Paul's using that story from the Old Testament to compare and contrast to something greater called the New Testament or the New Covenant, what Christ fulfilled, what Christ did through his perfect sinless life through his vicarious atoning death and through his victorious resurrection and ascension. So he says here in verse 9, For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. Now that's a wordy verse, verse 10. But you know what that basically means? Paul's saying, yes, the Old Testament was glorious, but it's like a flashlight compared to the sun. The sun far exceeds the brightness of the flashlight by billions of candle power, billions of candle power. And that's what he's basically saying. He's saying, yes, we're thankful for the old covenant. We're not disparaging it. We're not saying that it's not needed. No, it lays the foundation and points us to the mediator of the new covenant, Jesus Christ, and what he did through his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. And so he says that this new covenant excels in glory. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remains is glorious. 
Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. Paul's saying, we're thankful for the old covenant, but it was only ever temporary. It was to bring us, it was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. It was a servant to the Son. Moses was a faithful servant in all his house, but he was not the Son, Hebrews 3 tells us. And so Moses was needful, but Moses points us to a greater glory, to a greater um, shining, basically, is the illustration Paul's using here, a greater radiance. Verse 14. But then he points out this reality about the Jews. But their minds were blinded. Verse 14, For unto this day remains the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it, speaking of the heart, when it, the heart, shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Here's our verse, verse 18. But we all, with open face. Now, that phrase open face is fascinating too when you understand what Paul's been comparing and contrasting here with the Old Covenant. In the Old Covenant, Moses couldn't look on the face of God and live. He, he, he could only see the hinder parts of the glory of God. And even just that exposure left Moses glowing for days upon days to where Moses had to put a veil over him. Because number one, this glowing on his, radi- on his countenance was scary to the people. And number two, that glory was fading. And so notice here that Moses couldn't look on God's face, but yet we see the fullness of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Do we see what Paul is saying here? He's saying through inspiration of the Holy Spirit, listen, Moses was changed by this old covenant, and it was great in its glory and the fact that it pointed to something greater. And what Paul is trying to point out here is that Moses, his exposure to truth transformed him. But it was a transformation that would quickly fade. But what Paul's saying here is the transformation of the gospel, the new covenant, is an ever-increasing, ever-growing transformation. So here's the question. If we're not seeing that kind of transformation in our life, then the question becomes, what truth are we exposing ourselves to? Because if we're exposing ourselves to the truth of the gospel, the truth of the new covenant, do you know that what Paul is saying here is that he's saying that that kind of transformation doesn't fade? That transformation doesn't, you know, you make a camp decision and then you come home and, and it's only good for two weeks. Or you make a revival decision at a, at a revival meeting and then, you know, you go back to the way of life. Or you make a decision in a Sunday service, but then you go, but then those decisions quickly, you make another New Year's resolution, but then those New Year's spiritual decisions fade away. Why is that? Because we're trying to empower and m- m- motivate our life through half of the truth. You see, what Paul's saying here is it takes, thank you, what Paul's saying here is it takes both 
both. It takes the old and it takes understanding that the old was the conduit pointing us to the new. And that new is absolutely earth-shaking, transformational. The gospel, what Jesus did for us upon the cross, changed everything. It was the most important moment in human history. And this moment continues to spring forth and change our life. And so I want you to notice that word changed here in this verse. It says that we are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. According to this verse, it is God's Spirit that does the changing. You see what, what Paul's basically saying in all these verses? Let me just summarize them by saying this. What, God, what Paul is saying is, God has brought about such a dramatic change in how he deals with the human race so that they can experience true and lasting transformation in relationship with him. God brought about a change in human history. It wasn't a change from his standpoint. He always had Jesus in, in, in his plan. He always had the new covenant in view. But, but for the people, it looked as if God was changing how he was dealing with humanity. But in the unfolding progressive revelation of God, God was just simply, it wasn't that God was changing. He was just changing covenants. He was showing people that it's always been about an unconditional covenant that Christ would secure. And that it's this new covenant that is the key to growing, lasting change, transformation in our life. And so God has brought about a dramatic change in how he deals with the human race so that, so that we can experience true and lasting change in our relationship with him. So according to this verse, it's God's spirit, it's God's truth in the gospel that does the transforming work. Our calling as a church is to simply steward that process as he does the work. And so as I mentioned several weeks ago, our calling as a church is to seek to build and cultivate environments where true and lasting spiritual transformation can take place. Do you realize that I can't make anybody change this morning? We cannot make anyone change. All that we can do, as best as we can, is to point people to the only true and lasting change agent. And his name is Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. All we can do is try to, as best as we can, set up meetings with God every Sunday and every time that we have a ministry going on. All we can do is say, Lord, help us to be a conduit. Help us to be the farmers that cultivate the ground, that manage the ground. But Lord, ultimately, you're the one that brings about the change and the transformation. We're kind of like Andrew. All that we can do is bring people to Jesus and let Jesus change people. And so with these thoughts in mind, what I want us to look at this morning are three clarifications to help us understand our need for true change. And so this is here in your notes, these three thoughts. I want you to write these down. As you think about this word change, as we think about this and, and ponder and meditate on what it means to change, I hope that this will help us with these three thoughts. Number one, I think, first of all, if we're going to see a transformation in our life, a gospel transformation, number one, we've got to understand what kind of change we actually need. We must understand what kind of change we actually need. Here in this verse, it says, but we all with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed. So what does that word changed mean? Well, there's two different words primarily in the New Testament that are used to talk about change. The word changed here in the Greek language is the word metamorpho. 
I want you to look, though, at another verse that really backs up this verse and talks about this idea of change. And it's found in Romans 12, verse 2. It says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Notice here that there's two words that Paul, again, compares and contrasts. The word conformed and the word transformed. Now, I mentioned to you in 2 Corinthians 3 that the word changed is the Greek word metamorpho. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? It's, it's from where we get our English word metamorphosis. And so what Paul's saying is, is that the glory of the Lord, this new covenant, what Jesus has done in the gospel is metamorphosis, spiritually speaking. This, at the core of who you are, you start to change. And that should resonate with us on some level because we know that we've all tried to change. I mean, going back to the opening illustration, how many times have these people who are 600 pounds, how many times have they tried to change and lose weight? I mean, let's be honest. How many times have you tried to lose weight? How did that work? Oh, you know what's so bad about trying to change all these things in our life? Uh, You're successful for a while and then you go right back. And so, but this isn't the kind of change that Paul is referencing here. And when, he, and when he goes to Romans 12, verses 2, he gives us a further insight. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Now, here's two different Greek words being used here in this passage, and thus two different English words to correspond. In this passage, the word conformed in the Greek is siskemitadzo. Sounds kind of like system. The word conformed is the Greek word siskemitadzo, which means to try to change from the outside, to try to press into a certain mold. And so Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the word transformed here in Romans 12, 2, is the same Greek word from 2 Corinthians 3.18 for the word changed, and that is metamorpho. So Paul is saying here that there's one kind of change, and it's conformity. It's changing from the outside in. Another kind of change is transforming, and it's change from the inside out. Now, a great way to illustrate the difference between these two words are two Disney movies. Are you ready? This will help us, I think. The difference between conformity and transformation. Who knows who this is? Wally. Yes, Wally, one of my favorite Disney cartoons. What was Wally's job? His total continual job was to collect trash and compact it and squeeze it into these little squares. And he built an entire city of little trash bricks that he would conform over and over. I mean, he would, I mean that's his whole job. He would, he would collect all these bits of trash. He would bring them inside his little body. He would, he would compress it and and he would build these things. And, and that's the idea of conforming. You're, all you're doing is you're pressing into a mold. And so that's Wally. That, the, the idea is conformity. Conformity. 
Now, what's interesting about this word is the word conformity can be used in a spiritual sense too, in a positive light in the New Testament. For instance, it says that God has predestined us to be conformed to the image of a son. And when the Bible uses the word conformed in that context, it's in a positive light saying, listen, God's, God's process is going to transform you on the outside as well. But primarily, the word that God uses in the New Testament for change is not siskemitadzo. It's metamorpho. So here's the difference between conformity, wally, and transformation, metamorpho. Are you ready? How many of you know what this picture is? It's the transformation that occurred at the very end of Beauty and the Beast. When the beast, all of a sudden is awakened by true love and light starts to explode from his entire body. That's the difference. And what I love about even stories like this is they are echoes and whispers of the greatest story. And that is God's not interested in just taking us and pressing us into these little bricks, just conforming us from the outside in like Wally. He wants to awaken us with the true love of the gospel. And although we are beasts, he wants to transform us from the inside out. He wants to make us new. He wants to make us like his son. And so that's the difference between conformity and transformation and the kind of change. And so this first point is we need to understand what kind of change we actually need. I am not here this morning to tell you, okay, in 2019, you got to change and you got to do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, A to Z. You've got to do all these things. No. Now, when you change from the inside out, you're going to change some things that you do, but that's not the starting point for change. The starting point for change is from the inside, the change on the inside. And that's what Paul is referring to here in 2 Corinthians 3.18. He's saying we are metamorpho into the same image from glory to glory. So Paul is about transforming our thinking. He says here in Romans 12.2, do not be conformed to this world. Now this, I'm going I'm to point out something because this is so important. Part of our problem is even when we read a phrase like, do not be conformed to this world, we only think of be not conformed to this world in in matters of hedonism. For instance, do not be conformed to this world. Okay, yeah, we shouldn't think like the world in hedonistic ways. But do you realize it goes beyond that? Do you realize that the world is completely happy with you just being a religious person, a moralistic person? Do you realize that the kind of change that God is looking to effect in our life is needful both for the hedonist and the moralist? That we need to change who we are, and and we can't change who we are. Only God can do that through making us a new creature, a new creation, giving us a new heart and a new nature through the new covenant. And so Paul says here, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed And one of the things we have to be transformed in our thinking is is that being conformed to the world is speaking both of hedonistic ways and moralistic ways. Yes, hedonism means just pursuing pleasure and sin all you want. No, yeah, of course we shouldn't be conformed to this world in those ways. But we also shouldn't be conformed to this world in moralistic ways. And that's what most of religion is. Most of religion is content with just conformity, conformity, moralism, 
And both are devoid of spiritual life. When there's this aha moment as you're studying the gospel and you finally realize that both moralism and hedonism are devoid of spiritual life, you've begun to see the gospel. Because both moralism and hedonism are bankrupt. The most moral people of Jesus' day put him on the cross. That alone proves to us that just moralism misses the mark. We all know hedonism misses the mark, but what about moralism, you see? So what we're saying is, is that we've got to first, I mean, if we're going to really change, we've got to first understand what kind of change it is that we need. We need to be changed from the inside. We need to have this metanoia moment, I call it, a changing, a transformation of the renewing of the mind. True transformation is a process that can only come from God. But this is a hard thing. Why? Because we have traded godly wisdom for worldly wisdom in so many ways and just wrapped worldly wisdom in religion. Let me ask you, parents, do you want to see your children be just religiously conformed children or gospel-transformed children? I don't know about you, but I want my kids to be transformed by the gospel. I want them to have a heart for God. A passion for God. And you know what? In them having a heart and a passion for God, you know what we're also going to get? We're going to get good behavior. But do you realize that in so much of parenting, even, in you, even when you go to the bookstores today, a lot of parenting is about conformity, conformity, conformity. Rather than seeing them through the truth of the gospel. Hey, spouse, do you want to, spouses out there, do you want a religiously conformed spouse? Or a gospel-transformed spouse. With a religiously conformed spouse, you might get some sense of security with that in your marriage. But with the other, with gospel transformations in your spouse's life, you get true and lasting love with security. We're all looking we understand there's something that needs to change. But the first step in seeing lasting transformation and recognizing this need for transformation is understanding what kind of change it is that we really need. And so as we look at this passage over the next several weeks and we unpack it and we look at, I think what Paul's saying here in this word changed is this, this kind of change captivates you. This kind of change overwhelms you. This kind of change moves from just the head and it spills over to the heart. It spills over to the habits. It, it spills, spills over to the affections. That's the difference. It's, it's not do better, be better, act better. It's see Christ in all of his sufficiency, this goes back to the first verse we read, that our sufficiency is from God. Why? Because Christ has made us able ministers of a new and living way. God made a major change in human history. It wasn't a change for him, but from our perspective, it looks like a change. So God made this change so that, he, so that we could be changed in our relationship with him. See, the great 
the great truth of this passage is Moses was transformed by the glory of God without. But you know what Paul's saying here in this passage? He's saying that now we're transformed by the glory of God within. Because the Spirit of God lives in us. So if we're not seeing an ever-increasing transformational process in our life, and, and listen, this doesn't happen overnight, but if we're not seeing progress, if we continue to, ah, oh, you know, then there's, there's something here that we're not understanding about the nature of that change, the source of that change, how the process of that change works, and then how that's measured. And that, we're going to look at that in the weeks to follow. But recognizing the need... Do we see the kind of change that we actually need? Number two, are we evaluating whether we see our need for this change? Now, I want you to notice some verses here in verses 14, and, 14 through 16. Because Paul brings out here that the Jews were blinded to their need for change. Verse 14, but their minds were blinded for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament which veil is done away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it, speaking of the heart, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. The Jew was blinded to, their, to the entire reality of the new covenant. They totally missed their hour of visitation, Luke 19, 44. Jesus came into his own, and his own received them not, John 1, 11. Why? Because the word preached to them was not mixed with faith in the eyes of them that saw him and heard him. I mean, think about it. The Jewish people did not see Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, standing right in front of them even though he plainly told them who he was. In Luke 4, verses 16 through 30, Jesus read that scroll in his hometown synagogue of Nazareth, and then after he got done reading, he said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your, in your ears and in your eyes. So literally, Jesus said, here I am. He went so far to not even make it a mystery anymore. And you know what the Jewish people tried to do? They were so blind, they tried to kill him. They try to take him outside of their own hometown and throw him off the cliff there outside of the city. And so Paul is referencing the Jewish nation here and how they were blinded. And, and, and what this passage causes us to hopefully take a serious evaluation of is, is, are we blinded to a certain degree? Now, if you do not know Christ... The Bible says the God of this world has blinded the eyes of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine unto them. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Look over at it. Verse 4 of 2 Corinthians 4. In whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And so if you do not know Christ, the Bible says you have the worst kind of blindness. You know what's sad about the nation of Israel, though? They were willingly blind. They were willingly blind. They had every truth given to them. They had truth personified standing in front of them. Which brings us to this statement. It's, it was made by an early revolutionary, Thomas Chalkley, 1713. He said, 
There are none so blind as those who will not see. Do we think that spiritual blindness was just a condition for the Jew, or is it possible that we suffer from spiritual blindness? Now, if we know Christ, a certain measure of that has been taken away, praise the Lord. But is there a possibility of growing spiritually dull in our vision? We who are Christians, is it possible for our spiritual vision to be dulled and to be blurred? I believe so. Paul says in Ephesians 1, verses 16 and 18, that one of his prayers for the church of Ephesus was that the eyes of their understanding would be in they may know what is the hope of his calling. And so what we have to honestly look at here as we, say, as, as, as we start this series on true, lasting change, how does, how does lasting change happen in my life, Brian? It starts by recognizing the need for change. Just as if, you know, these people on these weight loss shows, they're not going to ever change until they are really see their need for it. And in our spiritual lives, we will not change until we believe we need it. And, 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 and let me tell you this. If you don't think you need to change, well, who can change you, right? The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Let me ask you some questions. When was the last time we saw a need for the gospel to transform our lives? When was the last time we saw maybe for the first time, a new and captivating and transforming truth from the Word of God. When was the last time that truth just stopped you in your tracks and it changed the entire course of your day because of a truth from God's Word that just arrested your attention, captivated your heart, and started to change your devotions and affections? The gospel writer John, it's funny when you read certain writers of the New Testament. We've talked a lot about Paul today and his writings here in Ephesians, Romans, and 2 Corinthians. The gospel writer John, he's such a fun writer to read. I'm so thankful that in God's inspiration of the word, he didn't devoid the writing from their personality and from their unique experience. And, and here's what I love about John. John just stops and he says, Behold! I mean, he's going on and he's talking about all this amazing truth in the first epistle that he wrote. And then all of a sudden he's just like, behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon. You see, John had one of these moments where this truth of the love of God captivated his heart. It, I mean, God loves us. We understand that truth intellectually. But when was the last time that truth overflowed in stopped us dead in our tracks. That's what John's doing here when he's saying, Behold. You know that you're starting to get this in, into you and, it, and it's starting to work its way out when, 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 when these truths hit and, 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 and it's like you think, okay, this is an ancient truth, but yet it feels right now so new. It's captivated me again, afresh and anew. And I think that's what Paul is, is, is trying to unpack. And what John's unpacking here is that the love of the Father that, that's been bestowed upon us, this evidence of the love of the Father in the Son, in the new covenant, begins to change everything about us. And so 
Do we recognize what kind of change we need, that we don't need conformity, but that we need transformity, transformational change? And then, do we see our need for that change? Are we evaluating accurately? Because clearly the Jewish people thought, hey, we're good. But they were blinded, the Bible says. <laughs> I kind of wrote down this thought. Has, has, I kind of wrote this down to share. <laughs> I kind of wrote this down. That sounds funny. Anyway, um, I wrote this down, and I do want to share it. And it's this. You know when God is transforming you, when truth makes you go crazy. In a good way. All right, we're not talking about insanity. But, but, but John here, you know, I, I'm sure probably someone was reading this. Oh, okay, behold. What manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. We should be called the sons of But John's like, no, behold it. You know, sometimes as a pastor, that's what I'm like. I guess I'm like, behold, look at this. This is amazing, isn't it? This is incredible. This is transformational. And this is the whole call of the gospel to see and this is what Paul is saying here in this passage. When you see it, it changes you. When you have the veil removed and you see the glory of the gospel in Jesus, Jesus changes you from the inside out. Oh, do we recognize our need for true and lasting transformation? Have you ever just stopped and asked yourself, why I cannot ever seem to experience the victory that I already have in Christ over anger? Anger is such a powerful emotion, isn't it? Why is it that, that we lash out at the people we love most? It's because on some level, we've been trying to change the anger problem by fixing the symptoms, but not going to the root and the depth. And, and in, within this series, within this understanding of change, you find the power to be set free from anger. Why is it that we constantly believe this lie that we're going to be satisfied in another spouse or in another romantic relationship outside of our covenant union with our spouse? Why do we keep struggling with issues of lust in our life? It's because we've, we've missed verse 5 that our sufficiency is of God. And so I think within this series, we'll see how some of these Symptoms, some of these sins change when the mind is renewed and this change comes from within. And what will be so amazing about the change that we experience is we'll be like, well, man, I've tried less to change in this process, but yet God's done the changing. It's so paradoxical. But that's why I know it has to be from God. Because you know what? We can't take any glory for the change in and of ourselves. That's why when God does a wonderful work in our life and then we kind of, you know, catch from time to time, whoa, the, the, the gospel is changing me. You're like, I didn't have anything to do with that. That was all of Christ. This is what I'm hungry for. Are you hungry for this? Are you hungry for this kind of change? 
And we're going to talk about how this works into the whole process of our church, how this works into receiving grace, growing in grace, serving by grace, because our mission is to make more and better disciples who are being saved and transformed by the gospel of the grace of God. That's our mission. We want to see that. And so, can you see your need for change this morning? Or is our spiritual vision blurred and dulled? Which brings me to the last point, and that is this. Asking God to produce true and lasting transformation. Asking God. So I don't know about you, but I'm hungry for this kind of change in my life. I'm hungry for this kind of change, for God to transform our church. And when people see the transformations happening in people's lives, all we can say is, but God, God did the work. He's the, he's the potter, we're the clay. He's molding us, he's shaping us, and it's beautiful. He has changed the nature of the clay, and he's molding and shaping, and he's transforming our lives. And so if you're hungry for this kind of change, I want to challenge you today to ask God to produce this lasting true change in your life. Just as Paul prayed for the church of Ephesus that their eyes of understanding would be enlightened, it should be our prayer that our spiritual vision grows sharper and more vivid, vivid and vibrant with every day that we remain on this earth. God, open my eyes to my need for change. God, help me to see the kind of change that you're even looking to work in me. And then, Father, I have to depend upon you to produce that change in my life. Because, yeah, I see that there's a lot of things that are going on in my life, and I'm not happy about them. I am frustrated. I am fed up with them. And I want to see lasting change. But just like the people in those weight loss shows... Food wasn't the problem. It's why they turned to the food that was the problem. You know what? Sin isn't the problem. <gasps> it's only the fruit of the problem. We sin because of the root issue that our sufficiency, our satisfaction, all that we have isn't rooted and grounded in Christ. And no wonder we run to sin because way back here, there hasn't been a transformation of the mind. And that's what we're about. We're not about trying to conform you from the outside in. And you know what? Conformity, conformity would be easier. A, a church built on just making people behave would be easier. It would be easier just to have a certain list of, you know, 10, 20, 50, 100 rules and everybody comes and they look exactly the same. They, walk, they, 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 they drive the exact same car. All cooking. It'd be great if, if that's the case. It'd be easier. It'd be predictable. It would be um, uh, 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 guardable. But that's not, what, that's not what we're about. We're about seeing a change that the Spirit leads, that the Spirit works. And as a spiritual greenhouse is, growth at all points along that scale and so our prayer is, God, open our eyes, produce lasting transformation in our life. And so the prayer this morning isn't, God, change them. No, it's God, change me. Transform my heart, transform my life, 
transform my actions and my attitudes, transform my mindset, my motivations, transform my desires and my delights, transform my entire being. Start with a new heart, God, and work it out. He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. May we join God in his work of transformation in our life. God, give me the sight to see what needs to change in my life. Give me the eyes to see the truth that has been there for thousands of years just waiting for me to finally see it. So what needs to change in your life and in my life? Where is God desiring to continue his transformational work in you? Do you know what kind of transformation, what kind of change you need? Can we even see our need? Are we asking him to produce that change in us? These are the questions today that we must confront. And so Christian, do you see what kind of change you need? Are you evaluating whether you can even see that change? And are you asking him to produce that change in you? But the greatest change in your life is when you experience the change of your eternal destiny. And that is through receiving God's grace in your life. Have you received his grace? Have you received his grace? It says in 1 John 3, verses 2 through 3, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Have you become a son or a daughter of God through trusting, through receiving his grace, through understanding that the greatest thing about you that needs to change is your heart? that you need to be forgiven of all of your sin, that you need Jesus Christ to be your Savior, to be the one who begins to change you. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And so, we were all beasts. We were all broken we were all separated from God, but then God changed our heart. And he is working in a process through our lives in which one day that transformation is going to be totally complete from beast to royalty. I can't wait for that day. Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. Do you see the change? Do you see the transfer? It's even right there. This is what the gospel does.